Tony, do you have a second? I know you said we can't be friends, but there's no one else I can talk to. I'm pregnant. It's Ralphie's. Congratulations. I don't know what to do. He acts like he doesn't give a shit. Do you ever think he's not acting? What should I do? Should I keep it? I don't get involved in the affairs of the heart. But if I have it, you think he'll help me support it? Oh, sure. It'll be father knows best over there. Would you want my advice? You already got one kid. Problems with that, burning him with cigarettes, whatever the fuck you were I doing. I got help for that. I had a lot of repressed anger. The county social worker says it all goes back to my mom and holding my hand on the stove. Whatever, okay? Your age, your situation. You need another kid like you need a fucking hole in the head. You're young. You still got your figure. You're making money. So you think I should get an abortion? Believe me. But Ralphie's the father. You'll be doing this kid and the next few generations a favor. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. This is episode number 173, The Sopranos, season three, episode six, University. Yeah, so whenever I go back to The Sopranos, this is definitely, like, I think my first pop culture thing that I was really obsessed with. You know, I started watching it when it was airing in middle Even school. Even before, like, music. Ah, uh, well, I guess, I, I don't know. I, I Probably I had dove into Blink-182 by this point in my life. And, I would hope so. You know, had that going. But, like, as far as, like, getting into the universe of something and really just always trying to be immersed into everything that was a part of it, it's been years since I've really gone back and rewatched this but I, I have rewatched this series like multiple times i watched most of it while it was airing even if it even if i wasn't watching it week to week because there were various years that i didn't have hbo like i was downloading them off whatever <laughs> illegal service was available at the time this episode in particular it always jumped out to me at the it, it definitely like was intense in a way that i wasn't really ready for <laughs> i mean there was always violence on the show but what happens with the tracy character in this episode and how tony reacts to it it always stuck with me <laughs> all right there was a lot of information for people to process but we got it so if, in case you couldn't tell this is a map pick that's right always the most bleak <laughs> grim shocking upsetting yeah. episode of television right <laughs> when you picked an episode from season three i was like great yeah. I know season three is classic, so I started from the beginning. I was like, all right, I'll watch all of the episodes of season three leading up to university. One after the other, I'm like, yes, this is a lot of the stuff I associate with The Sopranos. Right. This is like the peak of it for me, maybe. Yeah. And then we get to episode six, and I was <laughs> just 
Oh, no. Uh, yeah. It's so grim. Really? It's so terrible. In fact, I don't know what's urban legend and what's not, but evidently it's one of those things that people say that a lot of subscribers canceled HBO yeah. after this episode. <laughs> right, and I, I had no knowledge that it was like that impactful overall. Well, this, um, let, I mean, without getting into specifics, yeah. it's one of the most violent things they ever did on the show. Oh, sure. Straight up. Right. I mean, it, yes. it, the camera lingers on it and then shows you the aftermath of it a couple of times. Yeah. It's not someone who is a part of the mafia life. It's someone right. basically yeah. on the fringe of it, outside of it, an innocent, a young, innocent person. A sad story, really. And it's just remorseless. It's yeah. just so terrible. Tough to watch. But, <laughs> yes, it definitely uh, stuck with me at the time. Uh, interesting, you were sharing before the episode that this actually aired on April 1st, which is my birthday. Uh, I I did not watch this one live. I think I watched all of season three, like, downloading the episodes. But this one has always stuck with me. And I I tried watching a few other episodes while I was trying to pick one to do. And I just felt like I had to do this one. Okay. Yeah, so there you go. Before we jump into it, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, whatever. It's been a while since we've jumped in the tv i think back in the greatest october we did an x-files episode so as you can tell we've run out of (laughs) shows that we like and we're just repeating ones we've already done so many yeah (laughs) but you know i think this is mostly a movie podcast with a little tv sprinkled and i think our listeners are used to that by now sure yeah and i mean this show was what felt like the first time where a tv show was more like movies oh yeah even just watching a few of these episodes again recently it was a reminder of a feeling that may never come again for me, which is that anticipation week to week. And I know it's an unpopular opinion. I was still having that anticipation throughout season eight of Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. And we had it a couple years ago with Twin Peaks The Return. But it's not generally something that I get very often anymore. No. Most TV shows are dumped out all at once now if it's on a streaming service. Yeah. I kind of had that a little bit for The Mandalorian, but not not like this. Yeah. Not where I was dying to see what happened next. I was. I remember um, Sharp Objects yeah, being pretty Yeah, I would agree with that. that. Sharp Objects is pretty great by the end. But for the most part, the golden age of television is behind us, I think. We just have too many options, and people are not all watching the same thing at the same time oh, anymore. Oh, sure, yeah. And it loses that... Oh, I mean, buzz feeling. I know we talked about this on the other Sopranos episode, but might as well just rehash it. I, I mean, talk shows covering episodes of The Sopranos yeah. the next day. Everybody. Yeah, everyone know? was talking about it. It was the like view. a universal conversation. We got a little bit of that with Game of Thrones. I mean, I think if you're going straight up ratings wise, Game of Thrones drew way more people. Yeah, than but the it's Sopranos. weird. Like, The Sopranos, like, I, I think more people were okay with admitting that they watch. Like, <laughs> I still feel like Game of Thrones, even though it was a massive show, you would still, like, hear kind of people make comments of, like, that fantasy shit's not for me. Like, I don't need <laughs> dragons and stuff. I, I still feel like there was a little bit of that going around. So it just felt like The Sopranos was a topic that people were able to get into, even though it's just, like, a show of just horrible people doing horrible things. Yeah, that's one thing that jumped out to me in rewatching these. Every time I come back to The Sopranos after a certain amount of time, it's more and more jarring every time. It was right, the least yeah. jarring the first time watching it. Well, for me, too. And 
obviously I watch it from a completely different perspective now because when I was in middle school and like going into high school and then it, the show would finish while I was in college, it, I mostly just thought the mafia was cool, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like back then. Yeah, I just mean like because the world has changed so much. Well, sure. That coming back to it with eyes that have gotten accustomed to the way things are now. Yeah, okay. So like it, it's more jarring every time you come back because we've gotten so far away from yeah, a society where the show would be a hit and that people right. wouldn't protest it until it was taken off well, the Well, obviously air. this was a show that was pushing the envelope at the time. Yes. But we were more open as a society to envelope right. pushing things. Yes, I think yes. we've talked about that late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> Maybe once or twice on this show. <laughs> the pre-Janet Jackson yeah, era. Yeah, right, exactly, yes. <laughs> Before we took it too far by right. showing a nipple during the Super Everything Bowl. Everything changed, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, there's some things, especially in this particular episode, because of how horrific oh, yeah. the main event of it is. But even in some of the other ones, just... Everything. The the treatment of women, the racism, the lack of immediate consequences for some of this stuff. Sure. People want things. To, if, if somebody's going to do something terrible, they want the consequences to be right then. Yeah. That's not how it plays out with a lot of the characters. So the morality of it is always up for debate. Yeah. If you're not dialed into what the point of the show is, which right. it seems like less and less people are able to do now and get well, on the wavelengths of <laughs> what people are thinking with stuff. And, you know, a, a lot of the show, obviously, is about the psychology and what's going on. Uh, it feels like a huge part of it is just dealing with sociopathic behavior and being able to, like, rationalize things or yes. just, like, feel no remorse and just move on from things entirely and compartmentalize certain things. And it's just like this episode... That's apparent through the entire episodes with multiple characters. Yeah, and at the center of it, of course, is Tony, and his morality is always much more of a gray area, which challenges the viewer and makes the show interesting. If Tony was as much of a sociopath as Ralph, the show doesn't go oh, yeah. anywhere. <laughs> but we see him trying to process these things in his way. Now, he's obviously stunted emotionally, and he's not like a regular human being. But he's not completely dead to this stuff. It does affect him. Right. And you just have to pay attention to it. Unfortunately, in every episode, basically, he's done something that is irredeemable. Yes. So it's not like you're expecting a character arc where by the end of the show's run, he's somehow a good person. And It's I, impossible. When I was picking an episode, I really wanted to pick something with Ralph Cifaretto in it just because I feel like that character being added to the show just raised everything so much he's just so insane and so horrible yet there's a delight to watching him do it he's just so <laughs> funny i mean it's definitely the joey pants performance and i know at i've at least read before that they offered the part to ray Liotta, who they had originally offered the role of tony to and he turned both of them down at different times but i, I just can't imagine ray Liotta being a as good as joey pants yeah it's interesting because ray Liotta's is most famous for playing a gangster character right. in and Goodfellas. Of course, but Lorraine Bracco is in the series from Goodfellas. I think that he would somehow bring too much humanity to Ralph. Yeah. It's crazy to think because Leota does play a convincing psychopath or, or a bad person sure, in yeah. plenty of movies. Right. But There's something about the eccentric performance of... <laughs> At this he, point, he doesn't re resemble Robert De Niro or something to me at any Right. Way. And plus, like, we, you kind of see a lot of these classic 
mafia movie actors like pop up in the sopranos and he definitely was not one of them right but takes on like what ends up being like a pretty big role yeah so casting him it just seems like there is sort of a unique oddball quality to the character that jumps out to you that might not be there with leota sure yeah okay so University was the sixth episode of season three. The teleplay was written by Terrence Winter and Salvatore J. Stabile. Story by David Chase, Winter, Todd A. Kessler, Robin Green, and Mitchell Burgess. Oh, right. Don't yes. know why there's so many story by credits on this. Terrence Winter, though, obviously played a big part in a lot of the seasons, but he, when I was watching Wolf Wall Street the other night, yes. he did the screenplay for that. Directed by Alan Coulter debuted April 1st, 2001 on HBO. So let's do a quick, we're not so quick, doesn't sure. really matter. Season three to this point, let's just re- hit some of the main things. The FBI has lost their informant in Big Pussy. They don't really yes. know what to do. So they set up this audio surveillance situation in episode one, which is a really fun episode always jumped out to me because it's just so different from the, the way rest it's of the shot show. and everything and you, it's a lot of the perspective is from the fbi yeah a lot of driving around with that mashup of the spy theme and every breath yeah. you take by the police and just a unbelievable tennis situation going on with adriana <laughs> yeah, that is just unforgettable yeah, catches your eye <laughs> meadow is at college she has started a relationship with a guy named noah who is just absolutely horrible i mean <laughs> right maybe a nice guy at his core but just unwatchable well, the, on screen the I, thing I can't that i think is interesting here is that hard his guy to look at douchiness yeah grows over time so when you first meet him you don't really have this impression but right off the bat yeah tony doesn't approve because noah's half african-american half jewish and it causes a lot of tension between Meadow and Tony. Right. And a big theme of this episode, in particular, when Noah and Meadow's relationship will come to an end, is discrimination and hypocrisy of a, a person like Noah who doesn't understand that discrimination can go beyond race sometimes. Yeah. There's a word that you sometimes use on this show, and I do feel like it best describes Noah's behavior and just the way he acts. And that word is icky. <laughs> That's the way I feel. I would say when... pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> I just, ah, uh, he makes my skin crawl. They've been dealing a little bit with Meadow's roommate, who we met briefly early in season three, and then the big time yeah. Caitlin stuff will happen starting in this episode. We'll get to that later. But... Noah and Meadow are a huge part of this episode, University. Right. Christopher, Tony's nephew, becomes a made guy. Yes. And takes it to the next level in his career, but he slowly starts finding out that maybe <laughs> things not that aren't great. all cracked up. Yeah. <laughs> like you thought they would be. It's just a the, lot more pressure. It really takes his and Polly's relationship to another level with their conflicts, which really carry on for the rest of the show. They yeah. have a combative relationship to the point <laughs> where things are crazy and escalating between the two of them, like all the way through like the last season. I do think part of it is jealousy on Polly's part because Christopher is related to Tony and yeah. kind of is his career trajectory in their organization is a lot faster than perhaps it would be if they weren't related. Sure. And Polly is a confirmed bachelor and. <laughs> 
right. Christopher is going to get married to this smoking hot chick. I don't know. It just it seems like there's a little bit of envy in the perception that maybe Christopher's treated like a golden boy. Yeah. They always called Jackie Jr. the golden boy, but Christopher is a bit himself. True. And I think that probably is the start of their tension. I think so. Tony's mother, Livia, passes away in the second episode of the season, I believe, and that uh-huh. brings back Janice into the mix. <laughs> That's right, yeah. There's a lot of humor there with the one-legged Russian nurse. Yes. Who is the cousin of Tony's, Tony's former, former girlfriend. Yeah. and There's a lot of drama there, but I wanted to bring up Livia just for a minute because season three of the show, I think, is when they had to pivot, and it forced them to get creative on the fly. I mean, not that they were writing these episodes under duress, like, oh, shit, we have to hurry up and rewrite everything. But from everything I've ever heard, I think Livia was supposed to continue on throughout the show and be a major part of the show's dynamic. Well, it definitely was early on. And Nancy Marchand, I think is her name, Marchand or something, who plays Livia, she passed away in, I think, the year 2000 and kind of threw a monkey wrench into their plans of what they wanted to do. Yeah. With Tony. I mean, I think Janice... forced them to get creative, and I think it it turned out for the best, really. As far as, Not like, that she passed away. How much, like, <laughs> how much she annoys Tony, I think Janice does, like, a pretty good job of filling that void, at least. Yeah, it's Janice a problem is a that character he can't solve you love for. to hate. Yeah. Especially in the episode where Livia dies, and they're putting together the, I guess, funeral slash viewing, and then the after, the wake, the after party and just how annoying and terrible Janice is I know. during all of it. You just want to strangle it, her. It's just like one of the great things that carries on throughout the show. It's just the problem that Tony can't solve for, and she consistently dates like every dude that he can't stand. <laughs> A huge part of season three, which does not come up at all in this particular episode because she's not really even in the episode, I don't think, is the rape of Dr. Malfi. Oh, yeah. In the parking right. garage, yeah. which occurs in the fourth episode, Employee of the Month. That was a tough episode. Yeah. And it's something that I don't even think a show would attempt now in that way. Not that you can't portray a rape in a show, but the fact of the matter is that incident is more about the viewer than it is about Dr. Melfi. It's yeah. not, I wouldn't even say it's about Tony. Well, Although show, Tony's a part of it, because Tony never even knows about it. But it, it's what this well-constructed idea to turn the mirror onto the viewer and want Dr. Melfi to turn Tony loose on this guy. Yes, right. And that it's really asking the question of the audience, like, what is right and wrong here? Moral dilemmas on this show. And it's unbelievably effective, and it's really Absolutely, well done. Absolutely, yeah. And they do, for the time, I mean, considering this is 2001, they do give you a lot of Dr. Melfi without Tony scenes to kind of put that situation into context with her family and her psychiatrist and all that stuff. But again, I just feel like it'd be such a risky thing to try to do now where people would say this is like a stunt and you shouldn't manipulate the audience using a a woman's rape and all of that stuff. Oh, sure. But I I can't say that it isn't effective. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) That episode is like a 9.4 or something on IMDb. I mean, people really responded to it. Oh, yeah. But the actual scene itself is... Oh, tough to watch. Brutal. Yeah. I can remember my disappointment when the episode closes out and he's like, feels like maybe she's about to 
crash and be like, all right, this fucking guy. <laughs> and like, yeah. but then she, you know, holds strong and is just like, no, I'm good. Yeah, for sure. The first time I watched season three, I definitely had that feeling. And that is certainly intentional. It's to oh, get you sure. to feel that yeah. way and to question yourself as to what is right and wrong. And I mean, it's super manipulative because of circumstances. The rapist is let up, let free. Nothing's going to happen to him. It even has scenes of Dr. Melfi's husband slash ex-husband. I'm not yeah. really sure what their situation is. Saying, like, I would like to kill this guy, but they'll put me in jail. Right. Having her son flip out in a rage, but knowing all along that her husband and son aren't going to do anything. I'm not saying that they should. I'm not advocating vigilante justice. I'm just saying you know they're not going to do anything. And so it's really pushing you to that conclusion of, like, she has to tell Tony. Tony will take care of it. Nothing will happen to Tony. Right. He can do whatever he wants. (laughs) And yet... I think she makes the choice that she can live with in her conscience, even though she wants revenge. Revenge is not necessarily the same thing as justice all the time. Mm-hmm. So she's showing that she has a conscience, unlike Tony, who would, without question, just take care of the situation out of respect to her and the way that. Yeah, well, his conscience would tell him about her. that this is a justified killing. Yeah. And it's interesting when you compare his opinion of dr malfi as a human being versus tracy in this episode and <laughs> true how yeah. you can kind of delineate a class structure that exists in his mind of who is worthy of being treated as a human being and who isn't yeah but there's enough of that self-contained in university to not even have to go back but <laughs> that's true yeah it's always there i think they were very good at recurring themes throughout the show throughout seasons patterns stuff of like behavior that. yeah and of course one of the main things with season three, as we've already mentioned, Ralph Silfaretto in the mix. Oh, yes. Played by Joe Pantaleone. Featured heavily in this episode. And the eventual fracture of any sort of relationship between him and Tony and how that just gets worse and worse over time. Right. But they make it in a way, again, where the audience hates Ralph so much earlier that you're almost just waiting for something to happen yeah yeah it right. feels so inevitable that they're building towards yes where it leads to and then by the time it finally happens towards the end of season four you're like all right well <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> how finally did it last over. this long yeah. <laughs> yeah i would say up until this particular episode ralph is more annoying and unlikable yeah but then he crosses a line in this episode to just being the worst <laughs> where you're just like wild. holy fuck yeah this guy is an animal <laughs> <laughs> and just like the rapist and employee of the month you're just dying for tony to take care of it right you're just like this guy is such a piece of shit okay so let's talk about the episode in general uh now that we've brought us up to speed for sure. season three i would say that Two of the main themes of this episode, to me, are discrimination and class lines, and that the episode in general serves as a reminder of the true nature of these people. Well, that's true. The black hearts at the center of it, that you sometimes get fooled, just like anyone with a sociopath or a psychopath. You can get fooled by their charisma and how charming they are, but there's that black heart at the center of what they're really like. Oh, right. And this is just a... Uh, yeah. Pull back the curtain episode. Absolutely. Really. Pretty much like the whole way through. And, and there's parts that jump out and pretty much 
even a character like and and we'll get to the the part where this happens but even a character like silvio who is like one of the more tame ones of the mobster dudes he's kind of usually like trying to speak reason to tony in a lot of the episodes yeah but even him you see in this just so dark just so horrible yeah and then it's like smash cut with him at dinner with his wife his wife and you know the other wives and everything and just having like such normal tepid communication it's just the dichotomy of these two worlds and how can someone live this dual life one thing that i don't think you pick up on as much when you're watching this the first time at a younger age like we probably were less experienced at analyzing content oh, analyzing shows and movies you're not picking not up looking on everything. for things even yeah it's just entertainment it's not really anything to think about too much but as you watch these episodes a second third fourth time in your life and you're older and you're noticing a lot more it's really incredible how often and how well they will cut between two things and how those things relate to each other now like I said, I mean, if you're one of the people writing or reading like these long episode breakdowns oh, on sure. AV Club, this is not rocket science. This is stuff you've <laughs> right. already talked about known. But I'm saying for your casual watcher, and if who you may have listen to the these, show, thank you. <laughs> yeah, if you watch these one time and it was like 15 years ago, you probably didn't pick up on every single thing and wh- how you're supposed to relate those two things together, even if they don't seem connected. And as you pointed out, there's a, a scene with Syl being rough with one of the strippers who is kind of the focal point of this episode, just in a horrible way. And then it right. cuts to a dinner where they're acting like they are, you know, fucking leave it to Beaver or something. <laughs> right, it's like yeah. this wholesome, cheesy marriage type humor between three couples where the men are all complete psychopaths <laughs> and the women are complicit and they just pretend like they're not. And that's kind of the recurring theme. It's exactly, not like the yeah. women are actually innocent. They know what's going on. They right. know what type of people these guys but are. The, but they all pretend that they're not This episode, feel, it, it does feel like, while that's usually being pointed out in one way or another almost every episode, it feels like the spotlight is entirely on that throughout this episode. Yeah, and that particular instance is like the most jarring and easy to pick out because it's so absurd of cutting from the yes. one thing to the other. But yeah, I think there's a lot of through points and connections between Tracy and that storyline with Ralph and then pulling Tony into it. And then what happens with Meadow That's right. at Columbia with Noah and Meadow's roommate, Caitlin. So the other thing that I, I like about this episode is that it, it is kind of contained with just a storyline of, of Tony and his associates and, and like a, a specific storyline that's going on there. And then a specific storyline that Meadow's dealing with. There's like no Junior, no Janice. Like we're not spinning into all these different storylines. It's, it's a very contained episode. Yeah, for sure. Meadow and Noah are together at school. They're trying to deal with Caitlin. She's seemingly always interrupting them, causing them problems. She's a constant distraction. She's homesick. She's a rube, basically, in the big <laughs> yes, city. Right. She's from Oklahoma. She's not having an easy time adjusting to city life. Which is pretty understandable. Yeah. She's pulling her own hair out. She's got like all kinds of psychosis going on and 
having a hard time. Yeah, it doesn't feel like this could go on for and all very like long. any number of things are setting her off, and she's being exposed to things that are constantly upsetting her, and she's it does having feel a lot like of anxiety about everything. She needs to go home. Uh, it just feels doesn't like she this end up though, her. kind of riding she, the ship though. Yeah, she settles in. Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably not really that uncommon. Uh, I'm sure this feels semi extreme though. The ripping out of the hair and the flipping out of well, every single you thing. You probably weren't friends with that many girls, but absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> I think with guys it's harder to pick up on sometimes. Okay. But I, I do think probably most of your friends, you would say that probably at least know one person from their college experience that was like this. Okay, everyone probably knows like one person that was having a really hard time. Yeah, maybe, I can yeah, buy maybe that. they weren't yeah. all pulling their hair out, but people react differently to right. stuff. But she seems like she's dealing with multiple mood disorders. Possibly. Okay. Noah and Meadow try to help Caitlin when they can, but they really want to just have alone time together. And I was kind of shocked by this fair. that this was Meadow giving up that V card. I, I don't Oh, I, that's right. Yeah. I didn't really understand that, I guess, when I was prepping for this episode that when she has sex with Noah, this is the big moment it is yeah so very special this is kind of a big ask for meadow and noah to really dedicate a lot of their time trying to make sure caitlin's okay yeah and i think how meadow interacts with caitlin can be compared to how her father tony interacts with yeah Tracy later, which we'll get to when we get into and I do the think they're Ralph drawing Tracy storyline. Some parallels there, certainly, but I don't know. Is there a line that's kind of acceptable of like, "Well, I did all I could here." I mean, for Meadow, yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. so, right? And I think she meets it. I think that's what I mean. Like, yeah, she, in comparison to her father, who doesn't really try right. at all yeah. to help someone. Well, it's true because even at a point like later in the episode where it kind of feels like they're done. With Caitlin, when they go to a movie and Meadow's like still feeling remorse and feeling guilty that they're out and yes. it feels like she should invite her. Yes, because Meadow is a completely different type of person than her yeah. father. I think the title of the episode, University, speaks to a different place that we find three women that are all around the same age, Caitlin, Meadow, and then Tracy, and how yeah. this distinction of money, privilege higher education, things associated with money and privilege and what comes with that That's right. versus not having those things and being reduced to less than human and not mattering. It's this real clear distinction. However, the interesting thing comes in a little bit between Noah and Meadow. So they take Caitlin out for her birthday. There's a deranged homeless woman who has is using a newspaper as underwear. Oh, yeah. Which sets Caitlin off. Hard to, hard to watch. And I love that it's cut between, I think it's like when Caitlin's like, where do you think she sleeps? And then it cuts to Carmela in bed. Oh, right. Yeah. Meadow leaves and goes back home. When Meadow is away, Caitlin persuades Noah to let her hang out in his room. She ends up distracting him while he's working. And he's furious and I guess ashamed, embarrassed, whatever, later when the grade comes in on that paper and it's a C minus and he blames Caitlin entirely, which yeah, how much time like a ridiculous thing to do. They're dedicating to try to make Caitlin feel better. It's distracted him so much. Yeah. That it took away from his grades. I didn't hear him saying, Hey Meadow, uh, you know, we can't be having sex anymore. Yeah. As this episode goes along, 
Noah just gets worse and worse. And yes, the audience true. is finally kind of seeing like he's not like a great guy. And the fact that Tony discriminated against him based on his race does not automatically make him a good person. Sure. It doesn't make Tony right, obviously, but it's showing that those things are unrelated. <laughs> you know, Noah being a good or bad person is unrelated to how Tony acts. Exactly. So he takes Meadow to meet his father at a dinner, and this is where the hypocrisy of Noah and Noah's father comes into play because when she's asked what her father does and she says he's in waste management, this is clearly not acceptable oh, yeah. to Noah's father. They spend the rest of that night together, but it's basically like the next day right. that they're breaking up, and you see how much power Noah's father has oh, yeah. in his life. Now compare that to how much power the gangster Tony has in his daughter's life. Absolutely. He cannot get her to do what he wants. <laughs> yeah. And yet, here's Noah who will gladly listen to his father and jettison a girl he supposedly loves, or at least very much likes, out of his life without question, just because kind his of father in a says... cold manner, too. Right, yeah. And you see that they are being snobs. I think the implication oh, yeah. is that w they don't know... Who Tony Soprano is? They well, know I would he's say a gangster. right. Yeah. So they assume when she they says come waste from management, Los Angeles. So it's just like, yeah, worlds away. You wouldn't know like the legends or stories. So they believe her when she says waste management. She, sure. I don't know what she believes if she thinks that's true or not. That over time, she eventually, I think, comes to grips with the reality. Yeah. But at this point, I don't know. Her if she whole really knows uh, yet. trajectory is interesting because it's like she over time realizes it, understands it rationalizes it is openly against it at other times but by the end when she's like going to law school she basically cites that seeing the fbi come here and just harass you basically made me want to do this because we need to protect people's rights <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of like a funny thing the way it all plays out but they do this a couple times too throughout the show both with meadow and aj because it is so much from the sopranos perspective that like it's always interesting a couple times where the kids are intertwined with characters who are richer than them. Yes. Because from the world of The Sopranos, it feels like, you know, they're the royal family. Yeah. And, of course, whether or not their friends or their parents' friends know the truth, they are looked down upon either because, like you said, they don't have as much money, or if they know the truth, then, of course, they're going to be looked down upon because of that fact of right. what yeah. their family does. But before they break up, Noah, he's not innocent. It's not that he's just a pawn in his father's life because he flat out justifies his father initiating proceedings to take out a restraining order against Caitlin because Wild. he got the C minus yeah. on a, a, a paper. And uh, seems like a slight overreaction. Yeah, I mean, she's just like, well, couldn't you just talk to her? Like, be a normal person? Because, We're way past that. Yeah, Meadow <laughs> yeah. is... <laughs> Meadow's still kind of sweet, even though she, you know, I think she's at her wit's end with Caitlin, but she's still trying to make the best of the bad situation. That's right. She has sympathy for her, even if Caitlin is unbearably annoying. Noah just reveals himself to not be that person. And I think a lot of us knew guys like this. I mean, he dates younger girls at school, he's so pretentious. Even when Caitlin is having this emotional reaction to seeing the film Freaks, he's like, 
the first thing he says is Todd Browning, 1932. <laughs> and you just want to strangle him. That's right, yeah. It's like, Although where you were like, maybe a little bit, that was hitting close to home. <laughs> I don't think in that, just because I would know the director of the year <laughs> yeah. doesn't mean I'm going to say it in right. that conversation right there. Yeah, right. He's just this douchebag. You wonder why it took so long for Meadow to see it. In fact, by the end of this episode, she still didn't really see it because she's kind of stomping around mad when he breaks up with her. Well, yeah. She just shared something very special with him, and then he's basically just kicking her to the curb over... And he's kind of... I, I do feel like it's like he's holding Caitlyn over her head. Yes. Like, he's kind of blaming her for Caitlyn, too, a little bit. Yeah, and he can't take responsibility for his own grade, and he can't ta- take responsibility for what happened with Caitlin, whether his version of it is true or not. I mean, if it's true, he could have just taken a stand and gotten rid of her, but he made his own choices. Then when the, the grade comes in, he doesn't want to take blame for it. Okay, so this situation, which I would say is probably, I don't know, the least likely way you would have thought that the Meadow-Noah yeah. race thing would have been resolved when it started, where... Noah turns into this hypocrite and basically dumps her because he thinks that she's beneath him in society. Right. I don't really think you would have pictured that that's how this would play out, but that's where we're at. The way that they connect it to the story with Tracy and Ralph is pretty ingenious. And I think most shows, I mean, not that I'm breaking any new ground here because everyone knows Sopranos is like a great show and and much better than your typical show. But I don't think most shows would think to necessarily worry about this. But the cuts between Caitlin and Tracy, Meadow and Tracy, and just where, you know, comparing their lives and how things have gone for them in their first 19 or 20 years of their life, it's it's very effective. And it (laughs) brings a power to this storyline with Tracy that, I don't know would be there if it was just that or if they weren't making you think about Tracy comparing her to other people because she is a brand new character and her whole arc happens in this episode. That's right, yeah. And things are referenced that took place off camera that you've never seen, like when she first talks to Tony about Tony giving her advice about taking her son to the doctor. <laughs> right, which it, it feels never like, saw that actually happen. Yeah, it feels like he doesn't have much of a memory of it either. When... And plus the advice is ridiculous. It's <laughs> like, if, what, what, take your your sick kid to the doctor? Like, that's some wow. genius yeah. recommendation. Okay, so Tracy approaches Tony at the bada bang. Yeah. She gives him this date nut bread for the advice. He's kind of explaining, hey. You can't do this. Don't do this. He doesn't want to be seen fraternizing with a stripper. He doesn't I already want have a family, and they bring me gifts. Yeah, he doesn't want to get involved with a stripper because there's just too much stress for that. We have it's an not employee, like he's a faithful, employer relationship. It's not like he's a faithful husband, but it's one thing, I think, to get a blowjob at one of these ridiculous parties they throw, and it's another thing yes. to be brought gifts at work. Right. Because then it seems like it's a relationship Something's or going something. on there, yeah. And... Tony reveals to the audience when he's talking to Tracy that she's Ralphie's girl. Something else that I think it plays like during this sequence, the song Living on a Thin Line by the Kinks. Yeah, that's plays. like her theme. Even yeah. Though it plays after she's it, gone. It plays but three times in the episode, I think. Not the, the most likely of a stripper song that yeah. I could see. I mean, 
that mid '80s era kinks that like almost is just kind of related to yeah. the actual kinks that people like. But I do remember <laughs> the song. I do remember it jumping out to me like the first time I ever saw it because it does have a very distinct sound to it. Yeah, it reminds me of gordon lightfoot or something like it just it doesn't seem like a song that the kinks are doing agreed it seems like something else but i don't know it's it's a pretty effective song of course the i assume the line living on a thin line you can draw some meanings yeah i mean she's basically living on the edge due to her lifestyle and it catches up with her by the end and i think they probably chose the song for the lyrics and not for the practicality of it being a stripper <laughs> song. Yeah. <laughs> Cherry pie not playing. <laughs> I do like after she gives him the bread and then so gets rid of her and she walks away and Tony throws the bread in the trash. He just says bread and then it cuts to the next scene. It's <laughs> <laughs> like really funny. Yeah. We should say like, because why wouldn't we say this is our show and you know what we like to talk exactly, about? Exactly, yeah. Tracy, the hottest stripper they have in dynamite my body, really. The 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 typical strippers at the bottom Ing to me are not attractive. The big bolted on fake tits. They look like they're forty five. Yeah, yeah. They actually make the two strippers in go. Yeah, right. Look hot. So <laughs> even as like a young man coming of age in middle school, very quickly. The, the strippers weren't doing it for me, even at that age. Yeah. Certainly, I was always hoping for, like, an Adriana scene, but, you know, it's just, like, seeing these strippers who don't really look that <laughs> great anyway, but it just, I, I don't know, there's not a lot of juice there. Tracy continues to find reasons to try to talk to Tony, who sometimes humors her more than others, but eventually it builds to her telling him that, She's pregnant by Ralphie and asks for his advice. And Tony is just like, well, for the sake of humanity and future <laughs> generations, don't have this baby. Really? Yeah. Which is funny, but also not the worst advice. It'll be father's knows best over there. <laughs> yeah. It's a really bad situation. Yeah. I mean, when you compare the privilege of Meadow in college, has a family and a support system, has friends has a boyfriend at the time who might be a douchebag but is nowhere close to like having Ralph in your life. And then you compare her life to Tracy, who's yeah. about the same age. She already has a kid. And just she like, clearly has mental issues, which right. are referenced at one point. And the naivete over like the in, in any world this could happen. This whole thing with like Ralph and her having a kid and like being a family. Yeah, it's really sad. And then yeah, when Ralph like goes through that whole fake scenario. Oh boy, yeah, later, that is rough. That makes it almost even I just know. worse. You're just like, oh my god. Ralph is just getting on everyone's nerves. He's he's got this obsession with the movie Gladiator. Yeah, he which, works it into every conversation. Right. It kind of doesn't age well. I, I do remember when Gladiator came out and the time around it. It did seem like a really big movie that people talked about a lot. In, yeah, I in, don't think that it doesn't age well. I think it makes sense. Oh, really? Okay. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like... It was a huge movie, and yeah. it takes place in Italy. Well, sure. I get the, the comparisons to what they're saying, yeah, with like the mafia and everything. And He's one of those people, though, that he strikes me like he doesn't know that Russell Crowe is Australian. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then like when he would find that out, it would be like devastated. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like He just gives that vibe to me. <laughs> like he doesn't really know anything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But he does stupid shit 
yeah in the episodes leading up to this and then in this oh, episode always. where he's, he's always he he is living on a thin line really ralph is just like always pushing it to the limit and it's like they make references to it all the time i mean one of the other i can't remember if it's Polly or who but they make a reference to it where they're just like we're gonna find that guy in a trunk someday i was just about to bring that yeah. up. it wasn't Polly. i don't know that guy's name it's it, it's escaping me i think it's the guy that oh it might be Gigi or whatever the guy that's when they pass Ralph over yeah, for promotion, I think it's that that's who they make the captain, yes. and like Ralph reports to him. Yeah, everybody's aware that he's like a douchebag, but those unwritten rules of the mafia kind of protect Ralph. He's a made guy. Yes. And they're all sort of... Which he is uh, willing to point out. Unable to rein him in. He uses the length of chain as like a mace, like a scene from Gladiator, and he hits Georgie, like the bartender guy. Yes. Who's often getting hit. <laughs> Georgie, it's $50 up front and a blowjob later. Oh, I know. <laughs> the way Even he says he, that. Even him throwing his weight around. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so dark. Oh, God. Yeah. Just how shitty are the lives of really? the strippers at this place? Just, you got to blow this pig to just be able to go in and blow other guys. Seriously. <laughs> and it's like really dark, everything that's going on with Tracy, because not only is Ralph banging her and got her pregnant and everything, but... He also seemingly is passing her along to every other dude in this VIP section. Yeah, there's a really uh, interesting cut between Ralph well, yeah. fucking her from behind while she's blowing like a cop. <laughs> dude, and she, this the was way like, that she's like yeah. bent over kind of crying. I mean, it's almost implied that it's kind of a rape. And I, I, right. And it cuts to Caitlin back in the dorm crying where she's like bent over with her head in her hands on her bed like holding her head yes and it's the way that it cuts from like tracy getting fucked into that it's like almost like they're in the same position you just want to talk about like something that just mind-blowing for me the first time i see this episode it's just i'm just like where were your parents what you're in middle school i think i was like watching this on a computer by myself and like the computer room or something yeah just trying to wrap your mind around the fact that something like this could happen really i mean i was like what you hadn't heard about uh, no, no. Chinese finger cuffs Absolutely yet. had not. <laughs> Tracy misses work for three days at the Bada Bing. She claims to be sick, but she's staying with Ralphie. So Silvio shows up to get her because he has floated her alone to get braces. Right. It's his way of, I mean, it's, <laughs> oh God, it's so scummy. It's like, I know. These are already like the bottom rung people who, are probably addicted to something like some kind of a drug. They have just the worst lives. They're basically prostitutes. And in addition to that, he's also scamming them on yeah, loans he's like with loan bad interest rates. Them. Yeah. And usually it's for fake breasts, but with Tracy, it's braces. She does it, the first time she talks to Tony, she's like covering her mouth a lot. Like you can tell, like there's, you never really get like a good look at what her teeth are like before, but obviously they're s- supposed to be terrible. Or yeah, something. I do love when they're talking about it though. Sill and Tony. Sill says, "Yeah, they usually want fake breasts or whatever." And Tony's like, "Well, she doesn't need those." And so it's like, "Yeah, her chompers though, fucking train wreck." <laughs> <laughs> they must not have been that bad though, or else they would have shown them clearer. Sure. Yeah. They I do don't... make it a point to like, oh yeah, she's she's like covering her mouth a lot. That would have been of... kind of cruel if they used someone with actually horrible teeth. Well, that happens. Okay. So Silvio lends her this money, so she's basically making even less than she would be making at the Bing. And when she doesn't show up for three days, 
Sill knows where to find her at Ralph's. So he goes and gets her. He drags her out, throws her into a car while he's like smacking her around. And Ralph Seriously. is just watching out the window laughing. Yeah. Like a complete lunatic. Really? Just so shitty. And that's when they cut to the three couples. But yeah. And I mean, Sill just like slaps her across the face. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have the cut to like the dinner scene where it's Tony, his wife, Sylvia, his wife, and Ralph and uh, Rosalie April. Yeah. And it is just the worst humor going on between the group of them. Jackie Jr. shows up at one point and says that he was almost Dean's list. And Sylvia's like, uh, let me visit him. Then it won't be almost or whatever. And everyone like starts laughing. It's well, just that like, at so least felt genuine to like, I mean, I know it's supposed to be like a joke. Yeah. But that at least seems in line with like some kind of reality. The whole thing of like, don't try to talk to your husband during football oh, he's not right. listening yeah and it's just like oh my god it's so lame and you contrast that with the dark humor of laughing while this girl that is pregnant with your child who is like obsessed with you and is like 20 gets like beat up in the parking lot and dragged back to the strip club. by like your friend <laughs> oh, god it is crazy oh man so the next time they do one of those vip parties it's like three days later at the club, and yeah. I Ra- think Ralph hasn't talked to her since, so she says "fuck you" and calls him like not a man right. in front of some of the and associates. It is eventually pointed out that Ralph is like doing like massive amounts of cocaine. Oh yeah, not that that to really him. elevate. Yeah, but to really <laughs> elevate his behavior. So Ralph, I guess, is humiliated a little bit. I think Ralph always has a chip on his shoulder, especially since this is coming on the heels of him being passed over for the promotion so he goes after tracy into the parking lot and at first it's so strange the way he like is first talking to her that's right it almost feels genuine he's like what he's almost like whiny like like he's like the pitiful guy like yeah why would you do that <laughs> baby come on yeah so he sues her and then tricks her into this unrealistic fantasy of like her having the baby, him getting her a house, them kind of like being a family. That's right. And, and it's just like, oh no, we know where this is heading. And she foolishly tells him that she loves him. And then, of course, he changes and <laughs> the, the real Ralphie comes out. Yeah. He's like, well, if we have a son, we'll name it after me. And if we have a daughter, we'll name it after you. So that way we know that we'll have some. Yeah, she'll go up to grow up to be a whore. Yeah, like, some, <laughs> just awful. Some cocksucking uh, whore like her mother or something. And so she course, flips yeah, out. Tracy she's reacts him. harshly to this. So at first, she's kind of just like pushing him or whatever, and he's like laughing at her. But then she like lands a slap. And yeah, sets him off a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> he may have reacted to that. Yeah, he knocks her down to the ground and then bashes her head against a metal guardrail it's brutal. after already like punching her a bunch of times yeah yeah and so she's dead right i mean there's no question about it it's blunt force trauma to the head and then he goes back inside and he like sticks his hand in like a bucket <laughs> this, of ice and it's just like tracy this. fell yeah <laughs> well first of all everyone in the room stops and looks because he just walks in with his like hand covered in blood and he just like sticks it into a bucket of ice and everyone's just like what the fuck and he's like tracy she slipped i don't know she fell <laughs> <laughs> Polly, sill christopher and and tony go outside and they see 
Tracy laying bloody in the parking lot. This, I think we're yeah. kind of brushing by this because this is the scene, obviously, we've been referencing all along. Right. I mean, this scene is so violent that it is believable that some viewers were probably like, this Holy is too shit. much. Holy shit, yeah. It, is... it was like, yeah, when I saw it, I was like, Jesus. And it was kind of like the episode of Game of Thrones when Prince Oberyn just gets his head smashed in. So a show that had kind of had a... I was a... thinking of when... Princess Shireen was burned at the stake because that was pretty she's bad like too, an innocent. Yeah. Right. I just thought it was disgusting when his head is like crushed. I mean, it's not like it's that bad. Right. In this. I mean, exactly. She's, she's not, her head is intact. I mean, it, 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 she's just laying there with fake blood on her. But. Yeah. I just mean, like, when that happened on Game of Thrones, I was like, I don't know if I can watch this anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really rough. And they come outside and see the body. Now, it's interesting because. You could imagine all of these guys, or at least like out of the main couple here, reacting to this for different reasons. Sill, because... It's he, his business. It's his this, business, this but he, and he's also paid for these braces. That's, yeah, three grand, by the way. So is Ralph going to make up this money? Then you have Polly, who I think is kind of a, an emotionless sociopath as well, but it's kind of just low class and it it again disrespects the business that's right and it's just a bad sight but then you have tony who finally after several interactions with tracy is now seeing her as a person and he's actually most pissed about ralph killing a human being like a young oh, girl right. who yeah. was an innocent and finally he seems to like wake up a little bit he's not as selfish necessarily as these other guys where their thoughts aren't really about tracy or her life or death they're more concerned with their own personal interests and it kind of i think it kind of takes a few of the guys aback a little bit they're like well and this is sort why of why is he acting like this yeah yeah it's certainly not resonating with <laughs> polly when tony's like 20 years old this girl and polly's like oh yeah that too yeah you that's know? what i mean right. like he gets mad at Ralph because Ralph raises his voice to Tony. Yeah. And basically, like, isn't apologetic when Tony confronts him. Because they bring Ralph back outside. Right. And I think this is actually, like, this is what was memorable to me about it when I was watching this for just, like, the entertainment reasons. A pretty cool but quick action sequence where it's like, we are actually having, like, a confrontation between Ralph and Tony. Yeah. And I think it plays out in a pretty cool way. I mean, even starting from Tony being like, where is he? go get him up through the punch and everyone sort of scrambling to leave the scene. Yeah. I mean, you can't make it even all the way through something this traumatic without there being that brush up against their own self-interests because when a car pulls up unexpectedly to ask if the place is open, they panic in the sense that they don't want Tony in the same vicinity as a dead body. They're like, you got to get out of here. And yeah. they just re revert back to that rather than caring about the girl that's dead, which most of them never did. Right. Anyway, but Tony is pissed and he punches Ralph and it's a violation of the code because Ralphie is a made man. And their relationship to this point was never great, but as we've alluded to, this is the first real fracture that just gets worse and worse with various events. That's right. That eventually culminates in Tony killing Ralph when he's not really supposed to. That's right. But yeah, you don't want to give Tony too much credit because he is a terrible human being. But 
it is what makes the show great when afterward Tony and now Carmela, who's been brought into Tony's sessions with Dr. Melfi, very briefly at the end of the episode are with her and Tony is not talking. And when confronted about not talking, he brings up this event in a coded. Yeah, he refers to Tracy as a guy and talking about a <laughs> had like an accident at work. Yeah, like a, a work related accident in the waste management company or whatever. This is not even for Dr. Melfi's benefit. This is strictly for Carmela, obviously. Right, yeah. He has that genuine remorse. Not remorse. I, well, maybe remorse for not helping her more. But Sure, there's definitely a sadness there. Yeah, he says sad when they go so young, and it does feel somewhat genuine. And I think, you know, there's a part where he's sort of connecting Tracy with Meadow because he has a daughter this age. Yeah, I think finally he's seeing beyond the commodity aspect of Tracy where instead of her just being something to make money or something to put your dick in at work like she's actually a human now and that does allow him to think about his own daughter yeah and just the juxtaposition of Meadow pissed off about being dumped stomping around the kitchen being just a total brat right which she always is she's so spoiled in this era of the show and tony just sitting there eating the cereal like an idiot (laughs) kind of unaware of what's going on unable to even remotely be involved in her life at this point and you cut from her so confident and basically telling tony like fuck off yes asshole like just says whatever she wants to him and then it cuts to the strippers at the Bing trying to figure out what happened to Tracy and their inability to even speculate a little bit about a murder that fucking happened. Yeah, really. And they're like, you you better keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything like that. And you overhear Georgie talking to the new girl and telling her $50 up front and then a blowjob to me later. And they've just replaced Tracy like a low-level employee, like at McDonald's or something. <laughs> the cycle goes on, and yeah, it's the end. And just comparing where Tracy ends up to this privilege, and I'm not condemning Meadow. I'm just saying that she's kind of living this oblivious life where she's upset about some dumb bullshit over and over, and. Her rich people problems, I guess you could say, don't even remotely compare to the reality of what a lot of That's other right. people are going yeah. through. It does force you to compare Meadow and Tracy at the end, where, as I said, I think the better comparison through most of it is Caitlin, because she's reaching out and in need, and she's not that much unlike Tracy in a lot of ways. Just right. just clinging to Yeah, unaware anything. of yeah. how to cope with reality, and it's just it's really... A dark episode. Absolutely. It really is. really thrilled that you picked it. (laughs) (laughs) But a great show. uh, A great episode of a great show, even though it's bleak. And it really, like, you know, continues this whole Ralph Cifaretto, Tony dynamic that that carries on after this episode and eventually culminates in Ralph's murder at the hands of Tony. One of my favorite storylines to watch in any show ever. I love just, like, how hateable and how great of a villain ralph is because that's what they do with this show obviously is like they make tony the person that you root for despite how horrible he is yeah and it's easy to do when you have someone that's just really so vicious on a level that's like insane in ralph 
One thing that jumped out to me was when Meadow is introduced to Noah's father, he says that on a flight to New York, he sat next to Tim Daly of Wings. Oh, yes, that's right. Always good to get a Wings reference into one of our episodes. Daly is on the show later. Would later be in an episode, not playing Tim Daly. No, no, yeah. He's playing. He's a writer. He's a writer, right? Yeah, he's a writer who eventually is involved with Chris murders him. I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, these people are so terrible. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he's in the program with Chris. He's yes. a writer, and they're both in AA. There's a time where Chris really tries to get involved in the movie business, which is really weird. It's kind of a nuts storyline. Diversion. Yeah. Storyline. There's he's, an episode where they're trying to get Ben Kingsley. Yes, in I Chris's that. movie, which is kind of nuts. Each season has its strengths, and I think yeah. you know, every season is good. However, I do think season three might be the best. Season three is great. When you go into season four, I think there's good stuff. It's kind of crazy because I think season four is the one where Carmela is like carrying on this crush for Furio, the guy oh, with the yeah. long hair. And that like storyline is like, a heavy part of the season. Yes. And ultimately fizzles out, like doesn't... I, you know, I think she confesses to Tony that she's interested in him, and that's what leads to them separating. But I don't know. It's, it, it goes kind of down a strange path with all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, I, I do remember really enjoying season five as well. Just uh, FYI. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? What? <clears throat> what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So, do you have any recommendations? Uh, I do, yeah. On Netflix right now, the Aaron Hernandez documentary, I had to look up what the name of it actually is. Killer Inside, The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. Only three episodes, but just such a interesting thing to have happened. I can remember, you know, when the first murder actually was like news yeah and you're like oh what like this is crazy but then within a couple days it was so clear that he did it or like you know was involved and then it it takes a while but like this other story comes out of like two murders in boston that had happened like a couple years prior or a year and a half prior or whatever and your first reaction is just like i don't think so like this just seems like this is they're weirdly tying this together but then it's like it seems obvious that that was true as well And you're like, so this guy killed two people on some random Sunday night in Boston and then played multiple NFL games after that. It's sort of a crazy thing to have happened. But obviously, like, there's a lot of, you know, CTE is a part of it, but also like his upbringing and just a a culmination of things that may have led to these incidents happening. And I don't know. It's a pretty compelling thing to watch. And there's still a lot of mystery as to to what led up to the final killing. But it's it's definitely well done, and, and I, I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to watching that yet, but I'll I'll definitely be checking it out when I get a chance. I just have one for this week. I'll go ahead and recommend Little Women. Okay. Now in theaters, the new adaptation of the story directed by Greta Gerwig. It's a really good movie, and it's it's really effective. I was not. I've very heard emotional. Familiar. Yes, I was not very familiar with the source material. I didn't really know the story at all, so it was all new to me. I've heard that it's presented a little differently than other versions. I did have a little bit of a hard time figuring out the time jumps at first. Okay. 
because there wasn't a lot of indication of that. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have thought that. Okay, but you know that takes twenty minutes or so to get used to, and then there's still a lot of movie left after that. Once you're kind of accustomed to what they're doing, and it has an unbelievably great cast with Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, yes. Florence Pugh. Oh, uh, show favorite. Eliza Scanlon from Sharp Objects and Laura Dern and Meryl Streep and Timothy Chalamet. Okay. And, yeah, I mean, we're recording this about a week after the Oscar nominations were announced. It was nominated for Best Picture. However, Gerwig was not nominated for Best Director. There were no female nominees this year. That's a shame. We'll talk about that stuff probably more in our 2019 a year in reviews give us a second but she was probably in my opinion personally she was probably the only uh woman that really had a realistic chance of being nominated for best director and you know i i I wouldn't have minded it if she was it didn't play out like that but it's a it's a good movie and i would recommend checking it out all righty so that'll do it for our second venture into the sopranos still very possible we do another one yeah it's it's a really easy show to end up getting sucked back into very absolutely quickly. yeah they just don't make them like this anymore i know <laughs> each episode was like its own movie i was thinking just today or yesterday about fleabag and and how great it is but i mean you add up the entire duration of two seasons of fleabag and that's like I don't know, three episodes of The Sopranos. I mean, it's just just a different style. And the fact that they made 13, 14 episode seasons of this show, at least for a while. I mean, I guess they probably lowered it later, but 12, I think. 10 at a certain point, I think. Yeah. I mean, each one is like, like I said, like its own movie. It's a really unique show. All right. So that'll do it. Thanks for listening. And we will... See you next time. All the stories have been told Of kings in days of old But there's no England now All the wars that were won or lost Somehow don't seem to matter very much anymore All the lies we were told All the lives of the people running round Their castles are burned But inside, we're the same as we ever were Doesn't matter, doesn't matter, matter.
Dreaming of those Johnny Cakes. Bread. 